So let's read uh, Revelation chapter 16. We're just going to go through it. And uh, let's see. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven, the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature, every living creature in the sea died. And then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers in the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he be naked, and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place in the Hebrew called Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as not has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon them, upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a hundred pounds, about a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Exceedingly great. So now we are well into the second half of the tribulation period, a period that we've been talking about since Revelation chapter 6, when the seal judgments, remember there were seven seal judgments, and upon the seventh seal that really unleashed another seven judgments called the trumpet judgments, and those were another set of uh, uh, horrible things that God had poured out upon the earth, and then at the seventh trumpet, it indeed, like an accordion, it poured out another final seven bowls of wrath. So we had seals, trumpets, and if you have a King James Version, it might say vials, or bowls, but basically it is the final seven series of wrath of God upon the earth. And it's going to, just like a woman who is in labor, 
Jesus said that uh, that's how the end times would be. It would be like a woman with birth pangs uh, because those contractions start off small. And as she gets closer and closer to the birth of the child, the frequency of those Braxton Hicks and those things start happening. And next thing you know, there is great pain, great pain, great pain, and then finally the delivery of the child. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. And this last seven plagues upon the earth, these seven bulls of wrath, are going to be unleashed, and it's going to be the worst it's ever been. And not only the, the, the intensity of this is going to be very, very great. And again, why is God doing this? We know that the church has been removed prior to the Great Tribulation. We see that in chapter 4 when, Jesus, or when uh, John says, and I, and I heard a voice saying, come up here. And John, being a representative of the church, was raptured along with the rest of us. And we are with the Lord forevermore in the clouds. That's where we're received, up into glory. And there we are with him, the church of God, those believers in Jesus Christ, those who are born again are taken out of the earth before the great day of wrath comes. And it is a great day of wrath. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments, upon a world that has rejected God's only means of salvation, Jesus Christ, Joshua, Jehovah Shua, God's salvation. That's literally what his name means. There's no other way to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. All others have tried to come up some other way through different religions. And Jesus called them thieves and liars. They tried to come up some other way, but there's only one way. And guess what? It's open for any human being that's ever been born. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Not through Buddha, not through the Pope, not through anyone else. It, only through Jesus. Amen? Amen? That is a message that people need to hear. Because it's not about us. We don't make the rules. We don't make the rules. God makes the rules. He has the right to make the rules. He created all things. In Genesis, he made the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into existence. Do you understand the, the, the craziness that that is? There was nothing, and then there was something, because he spoke. Do you believe that? Because science is going to challenge you. Your kids are going to come home from college and say, I don't believe the Bible anymore, Mom, because evolution has proven itself beyond a shadow of a doubt. Are you serious? Hmm. Willfully blind are all those who teach such nonsense. Ignorance. Ignorance. You better teach your kids now, because when they get into high school and college, if they go to a, a college Oh, my Lord, help. What has happened in our country? Harvard University used to be one of the greatest universities. It started off with God being at the center, and it really was. Great theologians came out of Harvard. Now it's become a liberal cesspool, along with many other colleges. Very few left now, because they've all bought into the lie. And you're paying great money to send your child there. Hallelujah. Isn't it? They should pay you, but I wouldn't even take it. <laughs> so be careful. So anyway, 
As we look at these seven uh, final bull judgments, this puts us securely in the second half of the tribulation. This is going to be the great, now the lion is going to roar. Last week we looked at chapter 15, and that was really a prelude to this chapter. Now everything is going to break loose. All hell is going to break loose upon an earth, and it's going to be such an intensity, such an intensity. What did Jesus say? He said, if, he says, there will be great tribulation that has not been since the beginning of, of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so we know that those days are yet ahead of us. And God is going to shorten them because if he didn't, all flesh would be consumed on the planet. Everyone would die. That's how great the judgment of God is going to be. And that's a, such a, that's a really hard topic to talk about. And the Bible says that judgment is God's strange work. It's not something he enjoys. He'd much rather bless. If you're a child of God this morning, it's because you gave your heart to him. He wooed you by his spirit. And now here you are. So thankful for that. Aren't you glad that he got a hold of you when he did? I, didn't, I wasn't even looking for him when he came and sought me out again. He sought me out many times, and I look back at my life, and I see the different times that he knocked on the door, and he was there, and I ignored him for several times. Why is it that one time he got a hold of me? How is it? What a mystery it is. It's always a mystery, isn't it? So... But notice in Revelation chapter 15, if you remember in the very first verse, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to read it to you. And by the way, um, I was having some technical difficulties. Normally I have the scriptures and all this stuff up here, and I had a problem this morning, so we don't have those. I apologize for that. But in Revelation 15, what does it say? The prelude to this chapter says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And, and that means that if the bold judgment make it complete, it stands that there was wrath before. And we know this because we looked at the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, but there are those who believe that somehow the church has to go through the tribulation and that we're raptured at the midpoint. But this clearly says that we are, uh, that, that wrath had, be, had begun prior and now it's going to be finished. Does that make sense? If you follow the logic through, because God has not appointed his church to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Remember that. It's not just because we deserve to be raptured before all hell breaks loose on the earth. I don't deserve it. I never could deserve it. But I'll accept it. You know why? Because the Bible tells me so. It's really convenient, isn't it, to be raptured before all these things happen. And, and the world, they can say what they want. Oh, he's just your crutch. Oh, that's, that's really nice, you know, pie in the sky kind of stuff. Well, guess what? It is pie in the sky, and thank you very much. And I'll take it. Make no apology about that. Because it's going to come to pass. As sure as you're sitting in your chair this morning, it will happen. And it's going to happen. And it's before us yet. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. And make no, make no apologies for what God has said in his word. The world doesn't like it. But the world needs that same message that you and I received. Amen? So be vocal about your faith. Get out there and tell people. Don't allow yourself to get cold. It's so easy when things start getting really ramped up like they are right now to everyone to just kind of close in and, and cl shut the doors and, and just close off your heart and just say, you know, forget it all. But don't let it happen. And I say that for myself as well. It's something we need to always be on guard of, not letting our love grow cold. The love that God placed in you by his spirit. 
So in verse 1, it says, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. And notice the command to pour out the bowls of wrath is coming from the throne of God. This is not some happen chance, happenstance. It's, this is a very direct command. And notice it's not a quiet voice, but it's a loud voice. The Greek word is megalos, which means mega, right? That's what it means, mega. It's a loud, loud voice. And I love the fact that God's wrath is shown to be measured in the book of Revelation. It's not just some kind of angry tyrant in the sky who's just throwing down lightning bolts like some kind of Greek god who's angry because he's not worshipped. God doesn't need any of us. But he's pouring out his wrath and it's measured. Have, did you ever notice that? It's measured. It's very methodical. And you would think that natural man would say, you know what? I see this. And, and, you know, during the time of this great tribulation, you'd think that people would wisen up. But what happens? They blaspheme God, and they do not repent of their deeds. Such is the heart of man, isn't it? It's kind of scary, isn't it? But he is not a tyrant, desperate. He's not a tyrant, tyrannical despot who's out of control. He's very under control. Remember when Jesus cleansed the temple, when he came into the temple, He was very much in control. And you notice nobody got hurt, but tables got overthrown. Doves got let loose. But did you see him walking into the baseball bat hitting people? Did you see the Antifa thing on his, on, you know, the, the Antifa thing on his, you know, the bandana Antifa? No, he was very much in control. Very much in control. Because even in his wrath, he's under control. And notice that it was from the temple, from the temple. And remember, there is a temple in heaven. It is a, the temple that is made on the earth when God told Moses to create the temple or to create the tabernacle when they were going through the desert. What did he say in Exodus 25? He says, And let them, meaning the children of Israel, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern, the ta- uh, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so shall you make it. There's a pattern. There is a prototype that God was referring to. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 3 through 5, what does it say? For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, speaking of Jesus, also has something to offer. For if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve, notice, the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, God speaking to him, see that you make all things according to the pattern that was shown you in the mountain. The pattern of the temple that is in heaven was the one that was prototyped on the earth or or made in the likeness of the throne in heaven. And notice that it speaks of the seven angels, the seven angels. Don't want to make a big deal about this, but if you look over in chapter 15, in the very first verse, you'll see that it says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels. Notice, without the definite article. You know the difference, right, between a definite article and something that doesn't have it? When it says these seven angels, it's speaking about a specific thing. When it just says seven angels, it's speaking of something else, another set of seven angels. Does that make sense? And so it's established for us right here in chapter 15, verse 1, that seven angels, not these seven angels, we don't want to, we don't want to confuse them with the seven angels that we saw earlier in the, bold, in the, um, excuse me, the trumpet judgments. Because there were seven angels there, but these are a separate group 
And now that they are established, now it finally says, now the seven angels that were referred to in chapter 15, verse 1, these specific group of angels, these are going to pour out And they are going to pour out the bowls of the wrath of God. Notice, on the earth. Notice the angelic commission here. God is commissioning the angels. And when I read this, uh, it was really amazing. When I think about, you know, in heaven, there is no rebellion with the angels that did not follow Lucifer or Satan. The ones that are in heaven are obedient to God. There were some that fell away from him, and we know them as demons. And Lucifer became Satan, this light bearer. We know that. And I love that these angels are obedient. Don't you want to be obedient to the Lord? Don't you want to love him and express your love? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Now, can we keep the commandments? There's more than just ten. Actually, Jesus really narrowed it down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All those two, the Ten Commandments are wrapped up in those two because they either talk about God or our relationship with man. And the two tables of stone were divided up in such a way. But don't you want to be obedient to God as a way to say, Lord, I love you, and I love the promise in 1 John that if we, if we do sin, we confess it, And if we confess it, what does it say? He will be faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And folks, that's what we have to do every single day. Because none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. Until the day that we are raptured from this earth, we will still struggle with sin. We will still have issues of sin. We will still sin. Hopefully we'll sin less tomorrow than we did this last week. But when we blow it, guess what? We have an advocate. We can go before and the blood of Christ covers our sin, but we must confess, right? And they will be for, it will be forgiven. And then it's up to us to say, Lord, give me that gift of repentance. It is a gift, I believe, to turn away and to never come back again. And if you fall again, you get back up again. The righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up again. Don't let the devil beat you over the head when you fail and say, you're done. You've done this so many times. And you keep saying, oh, Lord, forgive me, forget. And then you do it again. Oh, forgive me, Lord, then you do it again. Listen, you keep confessing and you keep fighting and you never, ever give up. Never give up. Don't ever give up. No matter how bad it gets, the devil knows. He can't take away your salvation, but he can certainly take away your joy and your effectiveness of being a Christian. But guess what? He can't take your soul. Your soul has been purchased. So when you fall, you get right back up again and you confess it and you move on and you trust the efficacy of the blood of Christ to forgive that sin. You can do that, by the way. Do you know that? You plead the blood of Christ. But notice this commission to pour out the bowls of wrath. It reminds me very much of the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples after his death and resurrection. Remember in Matthew 28? What did he say? Notice these angels, they say, or the, 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 the voice from the temple says, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And what did Jesus tell his disciples that day in Galilee? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Notice the different commissions. 
The church is given a commission. I just read that. And then finally, after the church is removed and toward the end, the latter part of the great tribulation, now there is another commission, an angelic commission. God commissions them to go and to pour out the bowls of wrath upon the earth. And notice, and so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had, who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Remember, there's a time in the, in the coming in the tribulation where uh, anyone who wants to buy or sell is going to have to take a mark on their hand or in their forehead in order for them to buy or sell. And that will also be an allegiance to the one. Okay? you got to remember that. Now, we're going to be gone. If you're a believer, you're going to be gone. You're not going to be here during this. But those who take the beast will be damned. There'll be no going back after they receive that mark. And if you think of this, you know, they worship the image of the beast that is placed in the temple. We, we looked at that when we were in Revelation 13. And this is very reminiscent of the, the, the sore that was placed upon them. We saw the very same thing in the sixth plague that God poured out upon the Egyptians. Remember when they were, uh, the children of Israel were in Egypt? God was pouring out ten different plagues upon Pharaoh, upon ten different gods that they worshipped, to show the impotence of those gods and the supreme authority that God had over all of his creation. What did it say in Exodus 9, verses 8 through 9? It says, The Lord said to Moses, Take yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out on sores on the men. Very similar, this bowl of wrath that we're talking about now based on what has happened in the past. God often uses his nature and things of nature to bring about his bidding. And notice it was those who worshipped his image. Worshipped his image. Didn't God establish that in the Ten Commandments? What did he say in Exodus 20? What was the very first thing? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And now here they are in the tribulation period, worshiping an image in the temple of God of this Antichrist, this image that represents him. But God had spoken hundreds and a few thousand years ago. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow or serve them. How clear could it be? And then what did he say when Moses was getting ready to bring the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt and they had gone through the 40 years in the desert? As they were standing there at the Jordan, remember Moses is re rehearsing for them the history. And what does he tell them in Deuteronomy 28 verse 15? He speaks about the curses or the, the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. And what was one of the curses of obedience? There are many, but look at this one. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And there's a whole bunch of them listed there, but one of them is in verse 27, which says this, The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. Very similar to what we see here now in the end of the age as God is pouring out his wrath. And Satan has always wanted to be worshipped, 
to put an image up in the, in the, in the temple midway through the seven-year period that we call the Daniel's 70th week, the Great Tribulation. In Isaiah 14, the heart of Lucifer has not changed. For what did he say? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Sounds like he's got a, 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 a what's the word I want? Um, he's got an esteem problem. I, 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 the five I wills of Isaiah 14. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do. I'm going to do. Don't you, does it bother you when somebody, all they talk about is themselves? He would write an autobiography of himself every year and, and talk about himself. That's what Satan would do. Look what I've done. He's always wanted to be worshipped. Notice now in verse 3, the second bowl is now turned and poured upon the earth. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living, notice, every living, underline that, every living creature in the sea died. Underlined, every living creature. And why do I say that? Because this judgment sounds similar to the one that we saw in Revelation 8, and it also sounds very similar to the ten plagues of Egypt. Let's first look at the one in in, in Exodus This was the very first of the ten plagues. What did Moses do when he stretched out his rod upon the Nile River? It became as blood. And that's recorded for us there in Exodus 7, beginning in verse 20. But what does it say in Revelation chapter 8 when it speaks of the second trumpet? In fact, you're going to find that these bulls and trumpet judgments almost go along with each other, but there is something that is done in part in the trumpet judgments, and then there's something that is completed and finally finished in the bowl judgments. And you'll see what I mean right now. In Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9, it's the second trumpet judgment. Not the bowl judgment, but the second trumpet judgment. Notice what it says. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and notice, a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. But what does it tell us in the verse that's before us? Every living creature in the sea. It became blood as of a dead man. Every living creature in the sea died, not just one third. So now God is upping the ante, if you will. He's increasing the intensity. The throttle now is not halfway. It's full bore. It's all the way to 10, and he's pressing it so hard, it's even stretching to 11. But notice that this judgment now is universal rather than just in part or by a fraction. And notice in verse 4, the third bowl, the third angel poured out his bowl on not only the, the sea, but the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. When we compare that to the third trumpet, it's kind of interesting. The third trumpet in Revelation 8 verse 10 says this, that the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven like a burning torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers. Notice, a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. But now, in this last bold judgment, he poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs, and they became blood the entirety of them. 
And the fact that all the waters are now turned into blood signify the time of the end of Jesus returning to earth is very soon because life can't be sustained without water. Probably every bottled water in the, in the world that's been sitting in a warehouse at this time is going to be used because everything else is going to be blood. And once that runs out in a very short period of time, Jesus must return and he will. That's how short this time is getting now. And it's interesting, too, as we look at verses 5 through 7 here in our text this morning, that it's going to show that even the angels, even the angels, as God is pouring out his wrath, they are in agreement and full agreement with what he is doing. And that is so foreign to our thinking of angelic beings. It's foreign to our thinking about God, even. We don't like to think about God being just in pouring out wrath. This is a really tough chapter, isn't it? Don't worry, it's going to get better because in Revelation 19, verse 11, oh, the skies are going to part and we're going to see glorious things. I can't wait to Revelation 21 and 22. We're going to have ourselves a party when we get there because oh, all the darkness is lifted and I can't wait for that day. But notice what the, what the angels say in verses 5 through 7. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, notice what they say. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, the one who, and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. You're right in what you do, Lord, because of the nature of man, because of what they have done. You are just and righteous for what you've done. And I even love the idea that it says, the one who is and who was and is to be. Do you notice the, the, the way that that's worded? It didn't say the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to be. It says the one who, who is right now. He's with you. He's with you. He's taking care of the present. He's here with you in the present. And by the way, he's also taking care of, and he was with you in the past. And guess what? He's also with you and will be with you in the future. I love the order of that because it speaks about here and now, not just about something that happened way back when. No, he's with you now. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? I love that. But notice what they, they continue to speak. And he says, they, they say, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. What? It is their just due? These angels are saying, these, let them have it, God. That it seems so foreign, doesn't it, to us? But there does come a point when God says, I've exhausted all of my opportunities to reach now the hammer falls. And folks, that is another part of love. The world doesn't like it. The politically correct world says, I will never serve a God like that. Well, that's fine. You don't have to. One day you will bow before him, and hopefully you'll bow before him in reverence and give your heart to him. Because God is a God of love. He gave everything. Did he withhold his own son? God died on the cross for you and me. Is there anything more that he could have done? There's nothing more that he could have done. A holy God who was without sin took the penalty that you and I deserve. There's nothing more he could have done. No one will stand before God and say, I didn't have a chance. No one will stand before, the God, before God and say, it just wasn't enough, God. I, I needed something more. No, there's nothing more. That's it. Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. And he's coming back. And he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah to smash 
and to crush sin finally. God is serious. He's serious about his love. And think of the great love he has bestowed upon us. Great love. A love that is, nobody's ever seen that kind of love before. Hello. <laughs> Go away. I'll have to turn Siri off later. Well, at least she responded, Hey Siri, do you know Jesus? I'm not a person. I don't have a religion. Okay, Apple. So anyway, that was fun, wasn't it? I... <laughs> so, it is there just to, but God is serious about his love. His love is demonstrated for us on the cross. But he's also serious about judgment. And that's the other side of the coin of God that nobody likes to talk about, but it nonetheless is there. And we have to come to terms with it. And we have to warn people. We have to warn them. Nobody, you know, the, the thing that brought me to Christ was fear originally, honestly. Somebody told me, Rob, because of your sin, you are going straight to hell without passing go unless you repent. I was involved in all kinds of stuff, and I had somebody who had the guts, a Christian who had the guts to tell me, Rob, you're in serious trouble. And he didn't just tell me that. He opened the Bible, and he showed it to me, and I looked at it from my own self with my own eyes, and I saw the black and white ink, and all of a sudden, I began to tremble. No kidding. This is a true story. When I read it for myself in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I was done. I was like, oh God, help. And I cried out convulsively to him to forgive me, and he did. Oh boy, he hit me like a ton of bricks. I wasn't a slow burn. I was like, he just smashed me with a hammer in his love, and I loved it. I tell you, it just crushed me in a wonderful way. Sorry I'm using such, you know, it's just the way I am. But God's love is great. His wrath is great as well. I'm so glad I'm on the love side, aren't you? He took the wrath upon himself for us in our place. Hallelujah, right? Because evil people who are on the earth at that time, who have killed God's people, they will be worthy of death. And not only that, but eternal death. Eternal death. And God is perfect in his love. He's perfect in his wrath. What does it say in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6? God says, I am the Lord. I do not change. I don't change. I'm not capricious like the God of Islam, where you could do all the things, and I'm just having a bad day, so you're going to die. That's how capricious the other gods are, especially the God of Islam. But God will not violate himself, his promises. He will not violate his commandments. He cannot deny who he is because he is immutable. He changes not. And God does not delight in the death of the wicked. And he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Notice in verse 7, back in our text, it says, And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, notice again, true and righteous are your judgments. Who is this voice from the altar? Well, I believe it's probably the same voice that we read about in Revelation chapter 6. The tribulation saints, what does it say in Revelation 6? 
Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had. And they cried out with a loud voice. And notice what did they say? How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, it's funny you should ask because he's doing it right now in this verse. He's doing it right here in verse 7. Another from the altar, verse 7, says, Even so, Lord, God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Notice verses 8 and 9 in the, the fourth bowl. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And the men were scorched with great heat. And notice what they did. They repented, all of them, and they gave glory to God. Is that what it says? No, it says that they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. They didn't repent. Sounds a lot like Pharaoh. Remember the judgments of Pharaoh? Each successive plague that came against Egypt, the Bible says after that plague, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. You know, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And there got to a point, and I think it happened three times in those ten plagues, where, God said, where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What is the idea behind this? There's a point where we harden our heart, we harden our heart, and we harden our heart, and God says, is that really what you want? Do you really want to live with a hardened heart? And then he says, I will give you a hard heart. I will let you have your hard heart. What a horrible thing for anyone to hear from a God, from God Almighty. But such is the heart of man. What does it say in 1 Timothy? It says, The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, which we live now, folks, some will depart from the faith. Notice, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Do you know what happens when you throw a steak on a grill at high temperature? Which you should do, by the way, if you're grilling a steak. You turn the grill all the way up to high. You sear it on both sides for at least a minute. And then you turn the heat down and then you get your markings. I know this. But when a conscience is seared, all that putrescence that's inside gets sealed up. And there comes a point where your conscience can get seared when you will not hear the truth. You'll depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And people's consciences, even today, are being seared because they refuse to see the truth right before them. It's like they would rather go along with the group and continue to be deceived and to deceive, be deceived and to, de and to deceive, than to see the truth. It's happening right now. People are choosing to not see the truth. And this goes more than just the gospel. People are choosing not to see. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution. We've seen that probably in your own lives. You've experienced it. But notice, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And boy, are we seeing that today. And we're not even, uh, the church hasn't even been removed yet. And we look here at this fourth bowl of wrath, and we see it as very similar to the fourth trumpet. 
Because the fourth trumpet in Revelation 8, verse 12 says this, that the third, then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine. But now it's completely different. Notice in verse 10, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. The beast is the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness that is yet to come upon the scene. And his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And like the fifth trumpet and the ninth plague of Egypt, we see this where there, were, there was darkness over the whole land. You can read Revelation 9, verses 1 and 2. It just talks about the, these angels, these uh, demons being released on the earth at the time of the tribulation. And the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke that arose from that. And we see that in the ninth plague of Egypt, that there was a darkness over the whole land, a darkness that could be felt. And there's also pain involved. They gnawed their tongues. A horrible kind of pain, but notice it didn't change their heart at all. Verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And notice, they did not repent of their deeds. At this point, at some point, you got to say uncle. <laughs> you know, have you ever, guys, you've been wrestling with somebody and they take your arm and they twist it behind your back and you're laying on the floor and they keep pushing it up toward your head. And pretty soon you start to feel the ligaments in your arm give. And you're like, <laughs> uncle, uncle, I give, you know. You'd think that people would be doing that. But again, such the heart of man. Is there anything good within man? You probably came here this morning thinking, I want to hear a real feel-good message. And unfortunately, there are a lot of churches teaching feel-good messages and avoiding this stuff. But isn't, isn't not the word of God? Doesn't it all deserve our attention? Every single last bit of it. I'd even read the preface to the King James Version to you. It's not inspired, but the rest of it is. Read the whole thing. Everything is important. Notice the sixth bowl. The sixth angel sounded, and, or excuse me, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. This is verse 12. And his water was dried up so that the way of the kings of, from the east might be prepared. And notice that the Lord did not say the Tigris River. Because if you were looking at a map, the Tigris River is actually further east than the, the river Euphrates. Why didn't he say the, the Tigris River? Why didn't he say the Tigris River? Well, the Tigris River is not as long as the Euphrates. And the Euphrates actually stretches. It's further west of the Tigris River and goes up further north and dips over close to the top of uh, of, of, of Syria and, and those areas like that. And so this river has to be dried up for the kings of the east, whoever they are, these armies of the Antichrist, they're going to be coming in from the east and they're going to come down from the north and they're going to go right down the Jezreel Valley, starting at Mount Megiddo, Mount Megiddo in the, Arm, the Valley of Armageddon. That's what Armageddon is. It's a name of a place. And I wish this thing was working because I would have shown you some pictures that we took when we were there recently at Armageddon. Napoleon said that this place was the perfect battleground. Perfect. Mountains all around, huge area, flat. 
The Israeli army, I'm sorry, the Israeli Air Force has an Air Force base right in the center of it. And when you're on the top of Mount Carmel, up where uh, Elijah was, you can actually look down upon this Air Force base and you can see the F-14s flying away and, and coming back in again. And then they disappear underneath the floor of the of the ground there. They have underground reservoirs where they hide all the planes until they're needed, and then they come out like hornets. Love that. Those are the kind of hornets I want to stay away from. They got big stingers. <laughs> but this is what is happening. So this Euphrates River is going to be dried up. And it's no big mystery. God parted the Red Sea, didn't he? Is he able to dry up a river like the Euphrates? Piece of cake for him. Remember, the Euphrates actually comes from the mountains up in the north, and as the waters melt, it goes down into the valley. It's a huge river, and it's fresh water, and it goes all the way down until it empties into the red or into the um, um, the sea there, the Gulf. But notice in verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the demonic trinity. Here we go. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which is speaking of Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, the antichrist, and also out of the mouth of the false prophet. Here we have the demonic trinity. Why? For verse 14, they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world. And what is their purpose? To gather them to battle for the great day of God Almighty. God is going to bring them into the into the valley of Armageddon and they are going to stage there and they are going to come down and they are going to seek to destroy Jerusalem and kill all the Jews. The Antichrist is going to seek to do this. He's going to gather them all together and he's going to use demons to deceive kings. Can kings be deceived? You better believe they can. If their hearts aren't submitted to God, they are, they are like a, a leaf in the wind. And notice verse 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice this verse is in red. It's the first time we see Jesus speaking. The last time we saw him speaking in red letter, speaking, speaking him speaking, was in Revelation chapter 3 when he was giving the letters to the churches in chapter 3. But now he says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. And they gathered them together at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Har Megiddo. Har Megiddo is literally a mountain or hill in Megiddo. And there is a tell. There's a place called Tel Megiddo in Megiddo. And again, uh, it's a place where uh, uh, many things happened at this place. And it's right there in the valley of Armageddon, right at the base of Mount Carmel, not too far away. But it was here that a number of things happened, among which Elijah killed the 450 prophets of Baal right at the base of this mountain. Solomon had Megiddo as one of his chariot cities. And you can visit that. We saw it, didn't we, when we went there. We, his stables were there where he kept his horses. And the Old Testament talked about a chariot city, and we see remnants of that today. And we know that Josiah was also killed in Megiddo. In the same place, in Tel Megiddo, he was killed in that area when Pharaoh Necho wounded him to death, and he died. And this is where the place will be where the Antichrist will meet and stage this great army in their final descent 
from Megiddo down to the Jezreel Valley towards Jerusalem to destroy the Jews. And this is interesting because we see the Old Testament prophets speaking of this very moment when it's speaking of Armageddon, this, this final conflagration of armies against the Jews and against God, really. In Zechariah chapter 14, let me read to you the first four verses and then we'll, uh, we'll take communion in just a few moments. Notice what it says in Zechariah. I would encourage you to read all of Zechariah, especially the last three chapters, 12 through 14. It seems to me that these are like very New Testament chapters. And I think you'll understand why. What does it say in Zechariah 14? Behold, the day of the Lord, this day of wrath, the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will, notice God speaking here, I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Who is drawing them? God is drawing them. But they are operating on their own volition. Do you understand? Because their hearts have been so hardened and God is going to allow them to do it. And he's going to draw them and he's going to bring them right to that place and he's going to bring them right into that Jezreel Valley that goes all the way from the north of Israel right down the valley, right in the center of, of Israel. There's a fault line there and there's mountains on each side. It's a great place to just come straight down and sack Jerusalem and that's exactly what they're going to do. But notice what it says. God says, I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem and the city shall be taken. So it's not going to be completely impregnable. God's going to rescue them, but the city will be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished, half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city, and then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. This is when he comes in his second coming. When he comes in his second coming, believe me, it's going to be, no one's going to be able to stand before him. The Lord will go and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. We were there, remember? We were there right there on the Mount of Olives as we looked across the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. That's a pretty big mountain. From the east to west, making a large valley, half of the mountain shore moved toward the north, toward the south. This can be a pretty seismic thing that's going to happen. What does it say in Zechariah chapter 14, in the 12th verse of that same chapter? And this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. Their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them, and everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's friend. There's going to be such a, 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 a confusion at this time as these armies come down that there's going to be a point where they're going to get confused. There's going to be so panicked that they're going to start fighting against each other. Amazing. You can look at Joel chapter 3 and the first two verses of that as well. But notice, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done, it is completed, it is finished. And then chronologically right here is where really Revelation 19 begins because at right when he says it is done, the next thing that's going to happen is the return of Jesus. And we're going to see that in Revelation 19, verse 11, through the rest of the chapter. But right here is where this ends. The rest of the things that we're going to read now, including chapters 17 and 18, over the next couple of weeks, are really just material telling us 
about Babylon because Babylon is going to be rebuilt again. It hasn't been rebuilt. It's been laying in ruins, but it's being rebuilt. Saddam Hussein built a lot of it. But notice now in verse 18, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. I wonder what the seismic is, the, seis, the, si, the seismometer, or whatever that thing is, the seismograph, I wonder what it's going to say. 20.5? The great city was divided into three parts. We believe that's probably speaking of Babylon. It could be Jerusalem, but probably not. It's probably Babylon. And the cities of the nations fell, and notice, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Babylon will be the seat of the Antichrist, the city of this beast, this man of sin. And then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, about a hundred pounds. Have you ever seen a hundred pound something coming flying out of the sky? Comets? Usually it gets burned up in the atmosphere and it doesn't make it into the earth, but God's going to see fit to change things so that these hundred pound weights, whatever they are, they could be asteroids, comets. And notice what happened. Man, men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail since that plague was exceedingly great. We saw the same thing in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. They did not repent, and God brought hail, blood and hail, brimstone. So these are very difficult things yet to come upon the earth. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me. You know, Paul says it's the love of God that constrains me. The love of God. And again, this message has been recurring because... It's important that we understand as the church, as we read these things and we know what's coming, we ought to warn others. Judgment is coming, but God is a great God of love. Never forget that. See, to tell them that, oh, come to Christ and all your problems will go away, it's not true. Sometimes problems begin. <laughs> when you give your heart to Christ. Then you're, the battle really, you're, you're no longer a casualty in the battle. Now you're on the front lines. Now you see it, right? But never forget God's love, but always tell them the truth. And the truth is that there are two sides to this thing. Because I've sinned, I deserve judgment. But thank God that he died for me, that I will never have to see judgment because of what he did. See, that's the good news. That's why these chapters are important for us, even though we won't be here physically to, to see them. Let's stand together and let's pray. And um, when you're ready, we're going to take communion.